This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. We are back with another episode of Rocks to Roots. We have a very special episode today, don't we, Dwayne? Uh, yeah, I have to say yes, I think, on this one. <laughs> you think? Of course we do. <laughs> um, and it's really exciting. And I'm going to let you take this one away and go ahead and introduce our guest for this episode. All right. Well, today we have a wonderful guest, an amazing guest, a special guest, and a gorgeous guest. And she is... Mackenzie Dantonier, or Dantigny, depending on how you say it. How fancy I'm feeling that day. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing today, Mackenzie? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Mackenzie is the owner-operator of Billy's Diner in Airway Heights, the newest, best place to get local, wonderful food. Although I think you're slightly biased. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Of course not, right? Okay, so we got to tell our listeners. So Mackenzie, we're so excited to have you. We've heard so many wonderful things about you. Um, Dwayne can't stop gushing about you all the time. (laughs) So um, yes, can you tell us how you guys know each other? So we know each other uh, from being in the same world. We Vets in a Farm sells vegetables to Billy's Diner, of course. Sure. Yeah, Uh that's the only context. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Dwayne and I met a little over a year ago at a networking event for small business owners and local farmers of all places. Oh, that's awesome. And we decided we rather enjoyed each other's company and have been dating for nine months now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, nine (laughs) months. Yeah. Um, We're actually engaged. Congratulations. Less than a month old. And are expecting a baby boy this fall. Oh, yay! <laughs> Snaps, claps, Thomas everything. I got to see the ring. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. It's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. Well, congratulations. So exciting. Um, baby boy in the fall, you said? Mm-hmm. In oh, September. my gosh. That is so exciting. Do you have any wedding plans or dates set yet? No. We... Uh, so we'll get into this, but the restaurant itself has opened only about seven months ago and now we're expecting a little boy in the fall. And I was like, okay, I need, I need to get through those at least and then we'll plan a wedding. Good for you. Good. And yes, long engagements. There's nothing wrong with that. Take your time. It's all going to be a great party in the end. Speaking of long engagements, what else is happening in the fall? Oh, (laughs) well, I'm getting married in September. So yeah. Um, is that September too? Is that when you're yeah, September 18th? Oh my, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, so we might I'm have the same very pregnant at your wedding anniversary <laughs> or birthday. 
birthday. Yeah. That's so exciting. Oh my gosh. Well, so cool. Congratulations. So happy to have you sitting in the chair today. And we are talking all about Billy's Diner. And I am just so excited. Well, one, we're going to be talking about food, which I love. Yeah. Two, we're going to be talking about local restaurants, um, which is near and dear to my heart. My parents were local restaurant owners in Spokane for over 50 years. Um, and it's just your whole farm model of working with growers and then also just having an actual grower in <laughs> sitting in on the interview. Um, it's all going to come full circle. So we're really excited. But Mackenzie, I just want to give you a chance to just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm a Pacific Northwest native. I grew up north of Seattle in Snohomish County. Okay. And after I graduated high school, I actually moved to Spokane for college. I'm Great. a Gonzaga grad. Woo! Go Zags! Go we got Zags. a Zag in the building! <laughs> Heck yeah! I love that. I got my bachelor's um, in business administration um, okay. in marketing and finance. And then I boomeranged back across to the west side um, and worked in Seattle in the corporate marketing world for about a decade. Until, unfortunately, I was laid off in 2020. Oh, because of the, pand the oh. pandemic, mm -hmm. um, which ended up being honestly a blessing in disguise because that really put me on the trajectory I'm here now of opening a restaurant and living here full time in Spokane. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so and did you, you have. Me. Oh, go for it. Oh, I'm sorry. And you met me. And I met. There we go. <laughs> you got to have that in there. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like, don't forget the best part. <laughs> really the highlight of it all. Oh, <laughs> So did you have family here? Is that why you moved back or you just actually no? I um, really fell in love with Spokane when I was here. It, for people who have not lived anywhere else, it's such a special, special place. Um, the, the mixture of city and nature, um, how tight and caring the community is, how active the community is, um, is, is something that I really haven't found anywhere else. And it truly felt like home. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get into this a little while later, but um, unfortunately, my dad um, was diagnosed with cancer my senior year of college. Oh, I'm so sorry. And that's why I decided to move back to be close to him and close mm -hmm. to home um, while he was going through that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about that. Um, and so when you got back, um, you went back to school or you were, you're, you were already working, you got all your degrees, everything like that. Yep. I was okay. um, already done. So I, um, graduated in 2014 with my degree, moved back to Seattle, worked there for about a decade. Um, and then after I was laid off, I worked on the business plan for the restaurant for about a year. And then I okay. was able to move back once I had plans a little bit more concrete. Okay. So what really made that spark happen for you that you wanted to open a restaurant? It was a long time coming, to be honest. Um, so in fact, in high school, I was involved with a program called DECA. And it's a program for high schoolers that really teaches them the business principles. And one of the opportunities in it is you have an opportunity to write a business plan. Mm -hmm. And I actually, this is how much of a nerd I was in high school. I, I went to state with this business plan. <laughs> I love it. Um, and it, it was a, for a restaurant that catered to people with food allergies. And I... Even before the business plan, food has always been such a central part of my life. You know, growing mm -hmm. up, I have so many memories of working with my mom in the garden or cooking with her in the kitchen. I've worked in a number of restaurants. Um, I actually went into food marketing when um, I was in the marketing world. I just have never been able to tear myself away from it. 
but owning a restaurant was something that I thought I would do, you know, when I was, you know, 50, 60, you know, I retired, lived a couple of lives and I was ready to settle down. Um, I think it's the opposite. You're supposed to <laughs> let yourself relax after yeah. retirement, but I love your ambition. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I knowing now, I don't think that plan would have worked out because I don't think I would have had the energy to yeah. do it at 60. Um, but after I got laid off, I was like, you know what? Let's just go for it. And here we are. Oh, my God. Three gosh. years later. <laughs> that is so awesome. Do you stick to a lot of what you had prepared in that business model that you did Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. I have to give my high school self some credit, but you know, they're going through this process. Um, I definitely learned a lot and mm-hmm. a, a lot changed. It was the high school business plan was very idealistic. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. So you mentioned food allergies and wanting to um, open up a restaurant that would cater to individuals mm-hmm. that had allergies like that. What, why that type of theme? So I um, experienced a lot of food allergies growing okay. up. Um, I actually went through quite the health saga of being in and out of doctor's offices for about two years because um, a number of health challenges I was experiencing and it ended up being food allergies. Mm-hmm. A- of all the things. Um, and so that was something that just really hit home for me at the time. Um, and something that's honestly to this day has played a big part in how I approach food. You know, at the restaurant, we um, cater to a very large gluten-free population um, because having food allergies was actually very isolating for me. Mm-hmm. Is going to a party, I almost couldn't eat yeah. much anything. Um, you know, going out to a restaurant, you know, this was a time before you know, dairy-free, gluten-free, soy-free was very prevalent. One of my first times going out after learning I couldn't have dairy and eggs, I had lettuce <laughs> as a salad because I, I couldn't have anything else. And it was just, you know, someone who's loved food and loved building community around food. I was like, oh, you know, this really, really sucks. And I wish there was more of a space around that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. <clears throat> um so why did you decide a diner over a restaurant? <laughs> so going into this project, and I, I can share more background on this, it was very important to me um, that no matter what type of restaurant we were, we were going to be locally sourced as much as possible and we were going to be seasonally as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, when people normally think of a, quote, farm-to-table restaurant, they think very expensive. Mm-hmm very stuffy, very starchy. And I wanted to bring the local seasonal concept in a very approachable way. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, nothing was more approachable than an American diner. Yes. Absolutely. Diners are so comforting. Everyone loves a diner. Um, Everyone knows what a diner is. And then off of that, I knew, you know, the restaurant industry has one of the slimmest profit margins out there. And as a new restaurant owner, I knew I had to have every possible win on my side. So I wanted to do breakfast, which has one of the better margins for the restaurant industry is another reason why I went to the diner. Mm-hmm. Man, that DECA teacher is listening to this episode right now. <laughs> going, yes, I'll, I'll yes. have to send it to her. I, I owe Karen Morton a lot. <laughs> oh, that name sounds really familiar, actually. Um, well, that's awesome. And so how, how did go opening go? So 
When did you open? How long has it been open? So we opened in September of uh, 2020. Um, so a little over, I'm sorry, September of 2022. <laughs> Preg- pregnancy go. brain. <laughs> um, so a little over seven months at this point. Um, opening did not go smoothly. And for some context, we were supposed to open in June <laughs> of oh. last year. Um, and that's a number of things. I mean, to be very fair, you know, this was my first time opening a restaurant, opening a business. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot in the process. And, you know, when I do this again in the future, it will go a lot smoother in that regards. Um, but we also did have a lot of hangups with, um, you know, we were still coming out of the pandemic. It was very hard um, to be able to find materials that I needed um, to find contractors that I needed for the project um, and then to get permits released in a timely manner. But we made it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, you first said September 2020 and I was like, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a time right there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, and in the midst of all of that craziness that was going on. Um, so what do you think was the most rewarding thing when you first opened those doors, even if it was just like a little thing in the back kitchen or putting together the menu or hiring your first staff member? What was the most rewarding thing was um, the first couple of weeks. We were insanely busy, which which was amazing. Um, but it wasn't even the business levels I was proud of. It was my staff. Mm-hmm. The cool. the amount of extra work we had to do because we probably estimated our business levels being fifty percent of what they were, and so I hired accordingly. And we had to do double the work to make up for it until we hired. Um, more staff and just seeing the amount of heart and sweat and passion that my staff gave the restaurant those first couple of weeks just meant the world to me. And Mm -hmm. it was really amazing to see a vision that I had carried for two years come to life in them. Mm -hmm. And uh, to this day, that's still my favorite part of what I do. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And you have quite a number of staff that have uh, been with you from the beginning and are still with you currently and are moving up the ranks of the of the Billy's the Army, the Billy's... Billy's World. The Billy's World. Billy's, I, I like that. that. Billy's Squad. <laughs> Billy's Squad. Um, yes, I've been very fortunate to find just amazingly talented people from my sh- chef, Sarah George, um, to our new uh, assistant kitchen manager, Josh Nelson. We just got to promote him, which was really cool. Oh. Um, to my front of house team, um, Sav and Ash, I've been very, very blessed. All amazing people. And I will say, Josh, your hash browns are freaking amazing, dude. Thank you. <laughs> Every morning I go in, coffee, hash browns, and egg. Those hash browns are amazing. <laughs> Twain's been eating good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can That's see awesome. it. <laughs> so one thing I've always um, get whenever I'm in the diner enjoying that wonderful food is am I Billy? And I'm definitely not. So can you tell us why the Billy's the name of the diner? Absolutely. So um, going back to what I referenced earlier, um, my senior year of college, my dad was diagnosed with uh, unfortunately terminal cancer. And I was um, blessed to have two years with him after that initial diagnosis. Um, But we did lose him. Um, We miss him terribly. And um, his name was Bill. And so when I opened the restaurant, I wanted to name it after him in his honor. Oh, That's a great homage. I have full chills. Like <laughs> yes. what an awesome legacy. And you know, he's totally just looking down being like, holy crap, girl. <laughs> Glad to put her in that deck of class. <laughs> <laughs> 
what an ex- what an astounding legacy. That is really, really cool. Um, and so were you always from from opening those doors really focused on that um, farmer connection and getting using that local food from day one? Yes, okay. even from day negative 480. <laughs> Um, as I said, that was really the foundation of what started this project, you know, mm-hmm. from my experience in restaurants, my passion in food, my experience in the food marketing world. Um, I've always emphasized the importance of supporting local, mm-hmm. um, connecting people with farmers um, and connecting people with farm practices. And that that's a that is a central point of what we do on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. Do you think you really um got that perspective from really just working in the garden with your mom and um, doing that? Were there other experiences that really led you down that path? That was definitely a big part of it, kind Mm -hmm. of what inspired the curiosity of start asking questions about where food comes from. Um, But a large part of it came from my experience in the corporate marketing world. I, many of my clients were um, commodity boards, if Mm. you're familiar with those are. Okay. Um, So think of like wheat, corn, soy, pork, Mm -hmm. beef, any of these um, big um, crop commodity crops have a marketing board behind them, um, which we call commodity boards. And Mm -hmm. um, my team was brought in to help promote their products. And while I do believe that these um, commodities and these crops play a very vital role in our U.S. economy and paving the way for a lot of smaller farmers today, it really gave me the, a behind-the-scenes look that we, we have a lot of advancements to make mm-hmm. on farming practices. We've prioritized productivity, efficiency, and production above all else. And I don't necessarily agree that's the best decision we could have made. Mm-hmm. It's just a dust bowl, that's all. <laughs> Well, before we get a little bit more into the episode too, I'm because I'm sure our listeners are like, where the heck is this place? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you're located out in Airway Heights. Mm -hmm. Why Airway Heights? It was very important to me going into this project to be able to purchase a building. Mm -hmm. Listening to a lot of restaurant operators um, and reading a lot of stories, a common challenge that they encountered was after several years, they'd have conflict with their landlords and be forced to relocate. And that's not something I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a community staple. I wanted to own the property. And so that was a priority going in. In addition, I wanted a to be in a community that was still kind of up and coming. And so I looked in a couple of places. I ended up um, landing in Airway Heights. Um, We're right across the street from Yokes, um, if people know where that is, um, (laughs) out in the boonies. It's a community that's grown considerably in the last few years. And it's a community that I think is still kind of figuring out what it is. And um, I wanted to lend Billy's as an opportunity for people to kind of gather here and really help establish the West Paines community. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me more about that community and when you first opened and started getting that traffic, was it really a lot of local Airway Heights people that were showing up? Absolutely. Everyone from the, um, not everyone from, but a lot of people from the West Plains, um, especially since it took us so long to open, 
you know, the small town curious neighbors were yep. like, oh, finally, I get to check this place out of what's been going on inside. Um, and then, you know, it's been really cool to see the evolution because I now have customers coming as far as Coeur d'Alene for breakfast. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. It's over an hour away for breakfast. Right? That's just wonderful. Oh, for amazing food, you will. <laughs> that and is so cool. Y'all are open at six in the morning. Mm-hmm. So do you ever get a bunch of the, the guys after PT coming in from the base? We get a, quite a few military members because oh, we're um, located very near Fairchild Air Force Base. Um, now that it's spring, I get also a lot of fishermen going up to Lake Roosevelt, um, grabbing a bite to eat before heading out for the day. Um, but just a lot of also local community members. Um, I have a... Um, a small group of older men who come in in the morning and for an odd coincidence, they're all um, veterans and they've just formed this little tight knit community af- from being strangers and that they're, they're all planning to ride their motorcycles together this summer. And I was like, that's just a wonderful thing. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. great. Gotta love when a diner can build community like that. <laughs> Heck yes. And, and probably the coffee too, right? Coffee helps. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Cause you have a, you have a wonderful, nice Blend that has a good kick. Get your morning started from Evans Brothers. Is that right? Yep, Evans Brothers for the diner, right? Yes, um, Evans Brothers is our coffee vendor. Um, when I was looking for a vendor, you know, a lot of coffee roasters um, don't really have direct relationships with their farmers at all. Um, but Evans Brothers does. They really invest in these long-term relationships. Um, they they even highlight their farmers in a lot of their um, specific roasts and communications. And they created a special blend for us called the West Plains Blends. And it is delicious. It is strong, though. It is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Get your morning started right. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. You really thought of all, all of the connections and the people who are behind the scenes doing getting all these products and everything. Um, so like you mentioned, I mean, the farm to table is definitely a buzzword kind of thing going around. And yeah, there is, I think this stigma out there that, like you said, it's expensive, it's unapproachable, it's, you know, just kind of, I don't know, people, people aren't quite sure how they feel about it, but they love the term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was checking out your website and you have a um, quote on there and you've kind of dubbed the term farmer first. So talk to us about that. Absolutely. So the term farmer first really stemmed from farm to table in two ways. One, farm to table, I feel like is a very misused word in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. It really came to um, trend in the early to mid 2000s when the local food movement came out or took off. And Businesses of all shapes and sizes realized how much money they could make by slapping that on their products. Oh, yeah. And especially come coming from the food marketing world, I've seen how food companies will, again, prioritize profit above all else. And it doesn't – they don't necessarily care that the term doesn't accurately reflect what's in the box or on the plate – They just have their eyes on the dollar sign, which, yes, is important as a business owner. Mm -hmm. Money helps. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But being in the food world, I think, not we think, I believe we need to start prioritizing integrity above above all else. 
So I never felt good about using the term farm to table because I, again, I believe it's so misused. In addition, using my marketing background, I realized that restaurants are an incredibly unique position within the food industry to really transform the local food movement. More than grocery stores, more than retailers, more than farmers even, we have that direct to consumer interaction on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. We're able to build those long-term relationships. We're able to build that trust. And when at Billy's, when we put a plate in front of a customer, we're not just saying, oh, here's your burger or here's your locally sourced burger. We're saying, you know, the beef on that burger um, was raised and butchered by Frankie and Bill Browning of Browning Beef. They're located down on Spangle. Here are their farming practices. Here's the grass-fed difference um, and why it's recommended over uh, corn or soy-fed grass beef. And here's how you can find out more information about them. This was very important to me going into this project um, because another thing I'm really passionate about is not only promoting local food, but reconnecting the consumers with the farmers. And Dwayne, I think literally the first conversation you and I ever had, you know, I brought up the fact that our generation is the first generation where not everyone knows a farmer. In fact, in the 1900s, 40% of Americans lived on a farm. Do you guys know the percentage of what it is today? Oh, my gosh. I want to take a guess. Um, I'm sure out of in the United States? Mm -hmm. oh. um, gosh. 11%? 1% to 2%. Oh, Whoa. Wow. Wow. Holy cow. I feel like I should have known that. I know. I feel like <laughs> that's all right. I won't hold it against you. That's the last quiz question, I promise. <laughs> Holy moly. So we live in a time where our world population is larger than ever, but also the gap between consumers and our food source, our farmers, our ranchers, our growers is larger than ever. We know, we, you, Dwayne, you and I have had a lot of conversations about you have kids that come on the farm that don't realize where a carrot comes from. That's true. We had the, uh, I'm sorry, I got to steal a little bit of light here. We had the uh, the Girl Scouts come in from, from Spokane. I do apologize. I can't tell you which troop. And they had no idea about carrots. It was from the store. So we lined them up and they all got to come harvest carrots, wash them off and eat them. And then after that, go plant some. And they had the greatest time. And the moms were sending emails like weeks later saying, thank you so much. My daughter is in love with carrots now. She never Aww. knew anything more about them. Uh, we just wish they were as sweet as yours, of course. VLTF carrots, <laughs> shout out. Um, just saying. You guys do have the best carrots. <laughs> um, so we're, we're faced with this problem as a society that we the gap between us and our food source has become wider than ever. Even though, again, our population is is larger than ever, um, our nutrition is poorer than ever. Um, and so the farmer first term really seeks to help address that in reconnecting people of where their food comes from and mm -hmm. kind of completing that circle. And so Billy's is really, you know, we've talked a lot about community, but it's also about reconnecting people with their farmers. Mm -hmm. Well, so important. Let me just say, Everybody take your kids to Billy's Diner <laughs> this weekend, tomorrow night, because you just totally hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah, we, 
you know, have lived in a society that taught us hamburger comes from McDonald's, you know? Um, I mean, vegetables even, I'm like, I can't even, they come from the store, you know? I mean, it's, it's crazy how dumb we've kind of got about Mm -hmm. where our food comes from. And so that's so cool that, so do you train your staff on every single farmer meal, like, and to tell them and have all of those facts, like every single time they serve a meal? Yes. So every time we add a new farmer to our roster, um, actually, we just did this this week. So um, today is the first um, day of our spring menu launch. And yesterday we had a staff meeting um, and we reviewed the menu, but we also reviewed our two new farms, which are joining us. Um, We have Pleasant Prairie um, from Spokane Valley and they grow berries and then Happy Mountain Mushrooms. (gasps) Love them. We love them. (laughs) Um, They're excellent. We're so excited to have them on board. Um, And we went through not only, again, their products are in these dishes, but this is what makes them different. These are the practices they use. Um, So my servers are able to go to the customer and then share that information. We also have farmers attend our staff meetings um, where possible. So February, we had Frankie Browning up um, and talk all about Browning beef, their ranch, their practices. Um, And we're actually trying to get my staff um, down on her farm this summer for a branding event, which would be really cool. Oh, and you're sending staff to the farm. How cool. Holy moly. Like the whole whole gambit. Like that is, that's amazing. So have you patented the term? How come they haven't come to my farm yet? Come on. (laughs) I love free, I mean, not free labor, um, um, (laughs) guests that come and visit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. So I kind of wanted to jump back a little bit and talk about kind of that first connection that you had with a farmer um, to get their product. And so how did that go? Who reached out first? Did you do it? Did they do it? And just how did that initial meeting go and how? Well, I'll just stop there. I'll let you run with that. So the farm research process was really, really interesting. Um, And that was one of the silver linings of me having to wait for my permits for so long um, is I was able to devote so much time to this. And it was really like a part-time job of either spending time online or literally just driving around looking for farms because a a lot of farms don't have websites. You know, marketing Mm -hmm. is not a priority when you're a farmer. It's getting things in the ground and getting things out of the ground, Um, which, you know, I understand. Um, It was a lot of cold calling. It was a lot of knocking on doors. Um, And a lot of the farms I originally reached out to said no, in fact, because farmers have so so many bad experiences working with restaurants. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, restaurants are not the best partner, um, which I understand. And I'm I'm trying to be the best partner possible to my farmers to overcome that um, stereotype. And so it was, it was rather challenging to get farmers on board initially. You know, I'm a new restaurant. I'm a new face in town. Um, I, you know, I couldn't necessarily give them an estimate of volume. I was like, this is my best guess, but I really don't know again, cause we're a new business. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, like, honestly, kind of like a whole new concept to the 
Mm-hmm. diner restaurant feel like you're like no we're actually going to educate these people on where the food they're like yeah yeah, yeah okay mm-hmm. whatever we've heard that story before <laughs> yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. um so i believe one of the first farmers that came on board was actually frankie browning um i reached out to her and she's like i never have businesses reach out to me this is great that's awesome um and she was the one who invited me to the networking event where i met Dwayne. And I got connected to Vets on the Farm. Um, and they Vets on the Farm is our primary um, produce provider. Mm-hmm. Will Frankie be in the wedding? What's that? Oh, she does beef. We're, we're good. We're separate. <laughs> it's awesome. We can work together. And you guys can take Frankie. So I'm, I'm glad there's some competition there. <laughs> um, one of the things in that meeting that came up way back in January of 2022, right? Mm-hmm was uh, one of the gentlemen, I'm not really sure who he was, he was um, a chef or a restaurant owner. One of his complaints was he didn't want to write multiple checks to multiple vendors in order to buy that locally sourced produce. Um, That kind of throws a wrench in between the relationship between the farmer and, and the restaurant. How do you feel about this and how do you approach it? To be very frank, of all the concerns, of all the daily challenges, writing the the number of checks should not be one of them. If that's the worst thing I have to do as a business owner in the day, that that's a good day. <laughs> um, and honestly, is not even the most challenging part of working with farmers. Um, you know, in addition, I, I would say that one of the more challenging parts is even finding the farmers. Like I mentioned, um, you know, I, I know at one point in time, Spokane had a database of local farmers and I, I'd love to reinstate that at some point. Um, but, but that was a big challenge of even finding these partners. Um, I would say the next big challenge was just the 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 menu development and the cost negotiation so of course i am sourcing um local i am paying a premium for a lot of products but the way we've been able to counteract that is being very creative in how we develop our menu and that's where chef sarah george has just shined um that we're able to source local pay farmers what they deserve and still make money is a pretty incredible thing and honestly, the if writing multiple checks to multiple farmers is the trade-off I have to make to get the best produce or the best proteins out there, I will do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you um, talk to us a little bit? What was your chef's background um, in curating menus? Because yeah, I, I can under. I mean, I, I would think that it would be challenging because obviously in the winter there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a lack of you know those products and things like that. So what was her background and what's her experience with that? So she actually doesn't have formal culinary training. Um, the restaurant industry is something that she's just fell in love with. She worked as a sous at the Rusty Moose for about eight years. I want to say, excuse me. Um, and then moved to ruins, um, right before she and I connected, and what really brought us together was our, our passion for locally sourced food. And I am just so thankful for her creativity and willingness to just dive in with me. You know, not only am I a new business owner and we're a new concept, I was seemingly asking the impossible of her to help me run a uh, locally sourced seasonally based restaurant in Spokane, which has what, a four month growing season or something <laughs> ridiculous? <laughs> six. Um, but 
she has just taken the reins and run with it. And, you know, for example, this, this winter was very hard. Um, we did our best to be proactive. Um, we stored apples and squash in the basement of the restaurant, um, to get us through. We purchased the last of the season's tomatoes from a lot of our farmers and she preserved them, um, to get us through the majority of winter. And we actually just ran out. Um, but that got us through a good chunk. And then, um, we we rotate our menu on a on a seasonal basis, of mm-hmm. course. Um, so we were able to be very protein heavy during the winter mm-hmm. rather than produce heavy, and that that'll shift. It shifted a little bit with this most recent menu release, and then it will shift even more this summer. Okay. And Sarah, I got to say, she's amazing. Watching her take charge of that kitchen and tell people what's up, how to do it, get it done right. Fantastic. And mm-hmm. and the speed of which she works and gets everybody else to, to work with her is really amazing. She is a one woman army. And just to make th- this, this is what a supernatural being she is. So two or three weeks before we opened, she broke her ankle. Oh, no. Which if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, you oh. need your ankle you need your ankle you need two good working angles oh no and we have stairs oh no and so here she was working 10 12 hour days on a pegged leg (laughs) up and down those stairs serving food and i'm just looking at her as like you are utterly insane and i love you for it oh my gosh (laughs) big shout outs to chef sarah right now i i was hoping she'd put an eye patch and maybe like like a pheasant (laughs) like a plucked pheasant on her shoulder strap it would have been awesome (laughs) um So I kind of want to go back to, because you talked about how nutrition and food allergies was really, um, you know, key to you and kind of a whole idea of wanting Mm -hmm. to start your restaurant. So we talk about nutrient density food on the podcast a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are on locally sourced food compared to nutrient dense food and how that works with um, appealing to those people with allergies as well. So I'll start off by saying they're not always the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's um, part of my farmer vetting process, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I decide when I'm looking for a farmer to work with, being locally based is not sufficient enough. Mm-hmm. I ask a lot of questions about their farming practices because having that quality, nutrient dense produce is a priority for us. If we're just serving iceberg lettuce, yeah, iceberg lettuce that that is that's misaligned with our mission. Mm-hmm. Why this is important to me really goes back to my experience with food allergies. Um, just not feeling my best for two years, being tired all the time, throwing up, having headaches, having to say no to a lot because I wasn't up to it. Food affects our quality of life more than we know. Oh yeah. And so I became a huge advocate of we're not only focusing on delicious food, we're focusing on food that's good for you. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big staple of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just mentioned that you, you know, ask about all their growing practices and everything for a consumer listening to this podcast. What are some of your top 
questions for producers if a consumer is to go to a farm stand what are some of those questions you would encourage them to ask uh, that's a great question um simply asking what what are your priorities mm-hmm. and seeing what the farmer responds with that's always a big giveaway for me um the farms that i tend to work with say soil above all that that's yes. a big indicator is a farmer or rancher it doesn't matter if you grow carrots or raise beef soil is always your number one priority take care of the land it'll take care of us yes um if they raise animals i talk i ask them about their um uh, ranching practices um how are they rotating the animals what are the animals being fed um in cases where they're larger animals where are the animals going during the winter do they stay here um in the case with frankie she takes them down to snake river Mm-hmm. Um, for both my farmer or both types of farmers, um, whether they, they do proteins or produce, um, talking about the winter, you know, what are they doing during the winter? Um, how do they use that time? I tend to not focus on buzzwords like organic so much. Um, just because, well, a couple of reasons. One, um, I feel like that'll come up in the initial conversation about what is your priority. Mm-hmm. Um, farmers will bring up, you know, their importance of soil, whether they spray, how they treat pesticide or how they treat pests, um, how they fertilize. Um, but the phrase of organic doesn't mean much to me because a lot of the small farmers can't afford the organic certification. Um, and that's something we try to educate our customers on is just because a farm doesn't say it's organic doesn't mean their growing practices are bad. It means that they probably don't have the thousands of dollars it takes to get that certification and keep it up to date. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and Dwayne, I kind of want to throw it back at you as a grower what are the questions that you're expecting consumers to come and ask you? So our customers have come and asked a lot as far as, of course, they ask organic and we try to explain, you know, organics just that's par for course. Now you pay and you get that pretty much. Uh, there are, of course, stipulations you got to figure out and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we're focused on soil regenerative um, agriculture. We are all about getting the microbes to do the work, regenerating the soil, um, looking for life in the soil, getting the right uh, ratios of microbes in there. So that's where we're at. If you're someone who's looking to buy produce, I would definitely ask about their soil practices, but also about their IPM, their integrated pest management. Okay. Um, so an IPM is needed for any sort of, of new farm, especially organic farms, they require it. But the very last thing you could do an IPM, um, and what this is, is I'm sorry, where you take steps on how to deal with a pest or a problem. And the very last step is usually your big guns. So unfortunately, that's when you can throw Roundup on there Mm. because the weeds are going to encroach and they were going to destroy your crop, for instance, Mm -hmm. or some other pest was, and so you're going to use a pesticide. Um, So some farmers will kind of go through the motions and then just use that big gun and just keep using it. And you... Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not going to say. But a lot of other farmers will follow their IPM and try to stay within step one and two using ladybugs or lace wings or a type of Amani wasp in order to control thrips or um, aphids or some other pest. And that way they don't have to go and spray. Or they'll have a medium spray such as neem oil or they'll use uh, diamantaceous earth 
And these are the kind of things you want to ask your farmer because then you know you're getting a better quality food. You're not having to worry about all the uh, carcinogenic sprays that are out there. Mm -hmm. So at least this is just one level where the consumer can really feel a lot more safe talking to the farmer. Love it. That was a great chunk of information (laughs) for all of our listeners out there like me. (laughs) (laughs) So um, how many local farmers do you work with now? It changes depending on where we are with the season. Okay. Um, this summer when we opened, or last summer when we opened, um, we were close to 14. Um, right now I'm only working with seven. And that's just okay. because we, we don't have fresh produce yet. Yeah. Um, but we're getting there a, f- a few more weeks. Um, so some of the farms we work with uh, currently, uh, browning beef, of course, uh, that's on the farm. We're getting micros from our Pleasant uh, Prairie gave us gifted us, um, very, very generous. The last of their, um, berries from last season that were in their freezer. Um, so those, uh, play a very prominent role on our menu right now. Happy mountain mushrooms, of course, is brand, brand new. Um, and then we get a lot of our, um, poultry and our eggs from the Spokane Hutterites out in Reardon. Awesome. So, um, give us a little, some of your top favorites on your menu. That changes day to day, especially now that I'm pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the new cravings. Um, and we, you're doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Just or breakfast. Just and breakfast lunch. and lunch. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we serve um, the whole menu all day. Okay. I would say my top favorites every, well, very special place in my heart. Um, we have a weekly pie and soup special. Ooh, you do pies. Mm-hmm. We Ooh. do pies. Um, next week we're doing a Marionberry and apple pie, which will be delicious. I'm very oh. excited for that one. Um, this week we did a borscht soup with some local beets, um, which is delicious. I've never had borscht before, and our prep cook Noah just knocked it out of the park. So it's always it's always fun to try the specials because oftentimes those feature um, the hyper seasonal, hyper local ingredients. Yeah, um, that maybe the farmers have a very small quantity of, and we can't put it on the menu regularly, but we can do a weekly special with it. Noah does a great job with those soups and pies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I annoy him because I'm like over his shoulder. What are you doing? How can what can I learn? Can I have some? <laughs> You are speaking my language <laughs> soup and pies right now. I'm like such a soup geek too. Like, I, oh, I love soup. just finished off a, a peanut butter with chocolate drizzle pie. This week <gasps> is a peanut butter and chocolate yes. pie. Mm-hmm. My gosh, our listeners are drooling right now. <laughs> um, for new menu items, we did a tasting of all the new items yesterday. And my favorite was the white chocolate and marionberry pancakes. Those are really, really good. They have marionberries in the batter and then drizzled on top. Um, oh so it's God. literally like a PB&J pancake sort of thing. Ooh. And then um, Chef Sarah has this um, specialty of a bread pudding French toast. And we serve, you know, the plain bread pudding French toast on our menu as our French toast. Um, but our new seasonal one is an apple raspberry butter oat French toast. And it tastes like a raspberry oatmeal cookie. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's delicious. Oh my gosh. Um, we also are doing a Shabbat samples. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, a mushroom Swiss burger. So it has mm. a browning beef patty, um, a mushroom medley from Happy Mountain Mushroom, um, Swiss cheese on a brioche bun. And that one's really good too. Oh, and I love how you're 
mixing and like collaborating mm-hmm. the farmers <laughs> with the different ingredients and everything. That's so cool. Yeah. And for a big appetite, what's your biggest meal on your menu? That would be the whole farm. The whole farm. The whole farm. It's called oh, the, whole farm. the whole farm. I love and that. I, um, on a, it's pretty funny. People will order the whole farm and as we, cause we'll ask, cause it comes with two eggs, uh, a side of potatoes, like hash browns or roasted potatoes, bacon, sausage, toast, and a pancake or a waffle. Oh my and gosh. And it comes out in two plates and people see it and be like, oh my gosh, what did I order? <laughs> it's the whole farm. It's the whole farm. <laughs> That's such a good name. I love that. Dwayne, standout ones for you on the menu? Right now, and, and I'm going to claim it's um, pregnancy sympathy. Is that what it is? Sure. Sympathy hunger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the whole menu. I don't know. No, um, a waffle. <laughs> the waffles are freaking amazing. Every morning mm. that I can, now the season's kicking off, I can't as much. It is, of course, the coffee, the waffle, bacon, and some over easy eggs. And oh, life mm-hmm. is always better that day. And the, the eggs we get from the Hutterites, which are, who are 10 minutes from us, very farm fresh. Um, we get all of our wheat from, uh, it's a blend of shepherd's grain and Montana wheat. Mm-hmm. And we, we use a mixture of all purpose and whole grain in our waffles and our pancakes. And I'm, I'm completely biased, but I love our waffles as well. <laughs> I'm definitely a waffle over pancake, I yes. think. That's so because you're that's a very exciting. intelligent, amazing person. So of course <laughs> waffle over pancake. about <laughs> that? So... <laughs> You said shepherd's grain. That's mm-hmm. another super hyper local. Um, yes. Out of Reardon? Uh, the Palouse. The Palouse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. They have a number of processing facilities. I um, I believe they're based in the Tri-Cities, but they have a couple of others primarily. And that's a group of wheat farmers that have come together uh, mm-hmm. in our area to make this product and get it on the shelves. Yep. That's awesome. correct. Mm. Um, so I'm sure that there are some local farmers listening to this going, Ooh, I got something <laughs> to add to that menu. So what, what advice or how should a farmer maybe go about reaching out to you or even just in general, reaching out to restaurants? So I'll start with reaching out to Billy's. Um, cause that's the one I'm more familiar with, of course. Um, so please reach out. We're always looking for new farms to partner with. Um, whether it's, you know, a regular partnership throughout the year just for the season and just for specials. Um, I love meeting and getting to know new farmers in the area. Um, our email is on our website um, and it's hello at billysdiner.com. I always set up a one-on-one meeting with farmers, um, so be prepared for that. Um, either come into the diner or I'm coming out to the farm. <laughs> um, the, the question that I will always ask is, like, can I see a grow list um, with estimated volumes and harvest dates? Because um, really, my chef and I can't make any determination on whether we're able to move forward until I see that. Um, and that depends on kind of what capacity we're able to work with a farmer. If once we see that, that's when we get into the more nitty gritty um, of communication, best practices, um, delivery, infrastructure, costing, things like that. Um, Also be prepared for me to ask questions about growing practices, especially if we are out at the farm and I'm able to point to specifics. Um, If we do a meeting at the diner initially, um, I will request to do a follow up at a farm um, because it is very important to me to be able to 
verify, for lack of a better word, um, that the operation is legit and what mm-hmm. you say it is. You get out um, there, there's no farm. <laughs> like, what? Um, well, I have I, I, I have had some farmers reached out and I go to the, the farm and I see the condition the animals are in, for example, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm not comfortable working with you at this time and here are some resources that I think you should connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to speak to reach about reaching out to other restaurants um, mm-hmm. just because I'm not familiar with their priorities or their operation or who would be the best point of contact. But I do encourage you to reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's – again, I feel like there's this barrier between restaurants and farmers because so many bridges have been burnt. Um, but I do believe we can rebuild them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, start with restaurants you're fans with. You know, maybe you have a brewery you're a really big fan of and you notice they have a burger on the menu and you're like, great, this summer maybe they could feature our lettuce and tomatoes on those burgers. Mm-hmm. You never know. I like to point out, like, what you said was very important. Having a grow list broken down by harvest dates and weights, this is going to really help restaurants to connect with you because that's the language you're now speaking a common language if if you just go and saying hey i can do beats and i can right do, yeah well, they have no idea and if you've never done it of course you have no idea so it's always good to get some trials in at least a few trials get an average weight and be able to take that to a restaurant and have hard numbers because mm-hmm. you know someone that's never seen your operation or anything that's all they have to go off of and you know the the restaurant industry it Consistency is something that's very, very important to us. And that is a really big challenge for a lot of restaurants sourcing local and working with farmers because you're not always guaranteed that consistency. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's something that we still try to prioritize. So, you know, working with vets on the farm, for example, you know, we had a meeting this winter, talk about the season coming up. You gave me estimated availabilities each week. Um, you know, based on that, Chef and I are able to put together a tentative plan. However, we have this understanding of if something happens, a, a pest, the weather changes, Dwayne's able to reach out, you know, the earlier the better, um, you know, maybe four weeks out and say, hey, I know I promised you 10 pounds of carrots a week. It's looking more like two pounds at this point. And we're like, okay. And that's something that I went into a farmer first model knowing I'd have to be very flexible working mm-hmm. with farmers. But with that advance notice, Chef Sarah and I are able to pivot and be like, okay, we can't add carrots to these things coming up. Or we reach out to another farm knowing we have 10, 8 pounds, whatever to fill mm-hmm. um, to see if they're able to do it. Mm-hmm. So... On that, what is your advice to local restaurant owners here? I mean, I think that Spokane, one of the reasons why we love it is there are so many of these neighborhood mom, pop Mm -hmm. type of restaurants and going on. But um, yeah, I think that a lot of them probably are intimidated by the farmer first model because of what you just kind of explained, um, the guarantee of everything. Um, What would be your advice to them on that if a local restaurant is interested in working with starting to work with farms starting right off the bat i'm i'm sorry to say this but it's not going to be convenient Mm -hmm. 
And I, I say that with a, a lot of a lot of love and a lot of passion. Um, but I feel like that's the biggest deterrent for a lot of restaurants is a lot restaurants owners and chefs are easy are, are used to going onto a food distributor's website, clicking a few buttons, and then in a few days the orders show up. And that, that's not how farmers work. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of want to erase that assumption off the bat is you, if you're going down this road, I applaud you and I'm with you and I'm available for questions. Um, if you need a restaurant or a resource on the restaurant side, but it's not going to be easy. But don't let that deter you. Yes. <laughs> the tomatoes are worth it. <laughs> yes. And the carrots. And, and, and everything. And the, and the beef. <laughs> um, my advice right off the bat is um, move away from the assumption it's going to be easy. It's not. It's not going onto a website, clicking a few buttons, and your orders will show up in a few days. Um, it's going to take a lot of um, legwork right up front to do the research, to establish that partnership and to get it on the menu. A couple of tips after that is um, be flexible, educate yourself in the farming practices and really the realities and what a day-to-day, a regular day looks like for a farmer. Because mm-hmm. um, very few people realize the the amount of work that goes into farming. Right. Um, and then be creative. You know, the only way we've been able to make it work on our menu is to really think through those that menu costing and on menu on items where we have a very high cost item, countering it with lower cost items. So we're still able to offer it an affordable price point um, while making a profit. Mm -hmm. I do recommend reaching out to farms that have experience working with restaurants initially. You know, Vets on the Farm is a great example of that. I don't know if you're still accepting customers at this point in time. Um, but that that will help um, versus, you know, a newer farmer who may not have experience um, working with a food service operation. Mm-hmm. I love that you touched on that. And from the farmer side, uh, if you're a farmer looking to get into the restaurant scene have a have more than one year underneath your belt as far as what your season was that just might have been a bumper crop that could have been luck i mean there's a lot okay. of things that happen and i've had luck and you know some crops so yes yeah, speak from experience also uh look into uh, good agricultural practice also known as gap look into fisma these are things that will help you get right into the restaurant as it covers a lot of uh safety practices, and also, again, have your numbers readily available. And don't go too far on the side of, you know, you're going to get it done. If your crop is going to fail and you know it, let the restaurant know ahead of time. We all know what our crop is looking like when it's two, three, four weeks behind. Don't try to man it out and just tough it up. Just let them know and accept that as a growing experience. Lots of good communication is mm-hmm. what I'm hearing. Yes, yeah, that there you partnership go. That's, that's the way to actually great say communication. <laughs> yeah, no. So how has the community responded to your farmer first model? Very enthusiastically, which really, that's I've awesome. been so surprised and blessed by. From day one, business has been very steady, even through winter. I now have customers driving over an hour away to come dine with us, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really cool to have other farmers come in 
and see that we're a farmer first menu and we're featuring farmers on the menu and my servers know the terminology and see how excited they get. We've also had some amazing coverage in local outlets. Um, we had an article in the Inlander last year. Um, we were on the cover of Edible Inland Northwest, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, we've had two articles in Huckleberries. It, it's it's been overwhelming in the best way. So you're saying it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So what's on the horizon? What's coming up for Billy's? Ah, so we oh, fresh produce finally. After Woo! A very long yes, <laughs> everybody is so excited about it. I'm uh, can't wait. So we um, we change our menu with the seasons, obviously. So as things um, as harvest starts, um, you'll start seeing new things on our menu. I honestly can't tell you how many times we will change our menu this summer because I'm sure it's going to be a lot. <laughs> Um, as we have more and more produce to play with. Um, but we do have um, some exciting happenings um, at the diner. So I am partnering with Sue Hines, a local medical lake florist who prioritizes working with local growers for her flower operation um, to host a class series called Local Delights. It's going to take place the last Tuesday of every month. Um, you can find more information on her website, suehinesfloral.com. Um, and that's where you sign up for it as well. But half the class is going to focus on uh, local food. We'll have a farmer come in each class. Um, Dwayne is going to make an appearance for the first class talking about local eggs and chickens. Um, we'll have a number of samples um, by Chef Sarah, and then um, Sue will cover the flower portion of the class, and everyone will be able to um, leave with a flower arrangement. Oh, that really sounds cool. so fun. And you said the second Tuesday? The last Tuesday. Or last Tuesday month. of every month. Not starting up in May? Uh, this month. Oh, yay. April 25th. 25th. Okay. Awesome. I, I guess I should know that, huh? Okay. I'll, I'll remind you that morning. <laughs> That's awesome. And then um, I'm so excited. We're going to have a mini farmer's market on site on Thursdays. Yay! Uh, so that's on the farm are going to be there uh, Thursdays, I think, from 3 to 5 um, or 5 to 7. And vets in the farm is going to be driving what? Big Dina. All right. You didn't, you didn't let me Big get Dina's to that. Big Dina's got to get her yeah, name out there. Sorry. You didn't sorry. let me get to that. I'm excited over Five here. to seven or three to six. Do you remember the times? <laughs> <laughs> He's too excited about Dina. He's okay, like, we'll, we'll start that over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. need some love. Vets on the Farm will be joining us at the diner this summer on Thursdays for a mini farmer's market. They'll be driving. Big Dina. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Dina's making their produce available to sale. And then uh, Browning Beef will also be there selling their oh, beef Oh, great. Mm -hmm. And That's it's going to awesome. be, what, three to five on Thursdays? I believe so. All right. Mm -hmm. But um, definitely check the Billy's uh, website and social channels to confirm those dates and logistics. <laughs> And what is your website? Um, Billy'sDiner.com. So B-I-L-L-I-E-S Diner.com. And you just said you're on social media too? Mm -hmm. Under the, the same tag of at Billy's Diner. Facebook, mm -hmm. Instagram. Facebook, Instagram. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Oh my gosh. How exciting. Oh, the sun was out today. I was getting real excited for yeah. some nice fresh food, but you've been doing it all year long. So a lot of people have been really happy with our farm fresh eggs at, at Vets on the Farm. Uh, and we have, we have, 
36 chickens and 15 ducks and wow. unfortunately almost five roost four four roosters now so <laughs> you uh, just keep collecting uh, them <laughs> yeah um but we can't keep up on volume now diners definitely got to go through eggs so can you give us an example as a as a farmer that would love to sell you can you give us an example of the volume you go through absolutely so Eggs specifically, you know, restaurants buy by the case, um, which is important for an egg farmer to know. Um, each case has 180 eggs. On a slow day, we probably go through a case, so 180 eggs a day. Right now, we're probably going through upwards of 200 eggs a day during the week, and on my weekends, probably over 400 eggs a day. Wow. 400 eggs? Ooh. Wow. Absolutely. So you're saying my little flock isn't going to make it, huh? Not quite. <laughs> um, and this this is an important thing for farmers to realize when approaching a restaurant is the volume. You know, mm -hmm. Billy's, we, you know, if we're not able to get that volume from a single farmer, we, we try to combine farms and great, we can get X amount from this farm and X amount from this farm and X amount from this farm. And so we have the quantity we need. But, you know, I, I have farmers reaching out to me saying, I have 18 eggs a week. Would you like them? And I was like, sure. But, and <laughs> yeah, just, just letting you know kind of the larger context um, that you're operating in. Yeah. You're like, thanks. Our six tables will <laughs> get this right out of here. <laughs> Very cool. Well, congratulations on everything, on the success of Billy's, the concept, the relationships you've built with farmers, the relationships that you've built with consumers. Congratulations on getting engaged <laughs> and a little bun in the oven. I mean, what an exciting, exciting year you guys have ahead. Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Do you want to tell the story? So I did make my own wedding band. It is yellow he gold. Did. It is I the right uh, ratio of what gold, silver, brass, and zinc. Oh I my did gosh. my best that I could. It's um, beautiful. But the whole time I was trying to gauge her finger. And so it's, I kept putting my pinky next to hers to figure it out. And I, I didn't know my ring size small. at the time. And it's a little small. Oh. So I think I made like a four and she's a five. So that is that beautiful, though. Oh, my gosh. It's precious. In addition to being an amazing farmer, he is also a metal smith. Ah. Just incredible. That's awesome. I think it might be better at the second. <laughs> well, Dwayne, I can tell. Why you fell in love with Mackenzie over here. I mean, wow. The free Beauty. waffles. <laughs> the free waffles. Not that one. <laughs> and the Excel sheets. Yep. And, <laughs> and my ability to do a good spreadsheet. <laughs> well, thank you so much for hosting me. This was Absolutely. fantastic. And I'm excited to get the... Uh, listeners reactions yes well and as before we sign off um tell us uh, tell the listeners your address and the hours of operation for billy's so we are located in airway heights our address is 13008 west sunset highway across the street from yokes market we are open from wednesday through sunday six to two Awesome. Right. You'll see me on Saturday morning. Oh, right. Heck yes. <laughs> yeah. So we typically always do a spitfire round with some questions, but I mean, Dwayne's here and I don't. <laughs> do you... I'm not sure I want to hear the questions. <laughs> so I'm like, um, you know, all of the answers to these questions, right? <laughs> yes. Maybe we should ask him the spitfire. <laughs> I know. 
yes. Okay. Yeah, we can switch it up. Why don't I ask both of you, actually? How does that, how about that? Sounds good. Oh, gosh. I'm like tr- totally going cheesy. You don't have to put this in there. I'm like, fall, summer, winter wedding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so go for if it. If you're asking that question, yeah. I'm, I'm a basic male on this one. Her birthday's in June. Mine's in June. Oh. We dated in June. So why not have a wedding in June? Have it all in one month. That way, one month, I have to stress and remember stuff. And the rest of the year, I'm free to go. And your son's birthday in September. And, and, and <laughs> yeah. yes, I guess. Yeah, I that to, yeah. too. So, so two. <laughs> Wait, both of your guys' birthday is in June? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is Tony and I. Nice. Yeah, my fiance and I. Are, I'm June 1st and he's June 29th. Are you June 1st? I'm June 1st. No way. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Heck yes. Okay. We don't need any more questions. This is awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay. One more question. Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Oh yes. We're soulmates. Yes. Sorry. Sorry, Joy. Sorry, Joy. Sorry, Tony. That is so cool. Wait, when's when's your birthday? Uh, 27th. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. Tony's is the 29th. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. Gemini's and Cancers. Yeah. Heck yes. (laughs) Rock on. ones are crazy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Such a good episode. So excited to go back and listen to it. Thanks for tuning in everyone. Uh, Make sure that you reach out to us. Rockstoroots.org. We still got a few spots in our season. If you want to reach out and get your business or organization um, into the Rocks to Roots season six uh, lineup. So make sure you reach out to us info at rocks to roots.org let us know how you liked this episode in the comments below and we'll catch you next time thank you thank you have a great one rocks to roots is sponsored by the office of farmland preservation office of farmland preservation is a program within the washington state conservation commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.